0: 2 John, verses 5 and 6 say, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. This, this evening we'll be studying Verse 12. And John begins to close out this letter in verse 12. And he doesn't break away from the things that he's already said. In fact, he brings us a pretty good summary of these things that he said already. In verse number 12, he says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face. And that our joy may be full. So I thought about a couple different um, uh, titles for this message. That the, the, the title that I went with was Face to Face. But another title that, that we could have is that our joy may be full. Well, do you want to be full of joy? That's a question. That's a question. The, before we really get into the, the nuts and bolts of this message we learn or relearn or are reintroduced to one of the most ancient truths recording into the Word of God is that it is not good for man or woman to be alone. Here he says that our joy may be full, but how is joy full when believers walk together, when believers are face-to-face with one another? He's reiterating to this local assembly how precious it is and how truly magnificent it is that God granted or He established His assembly and that in the presence of His assembly in walking in light and walking after His commandments that His people were to be full of joy. So then again, I, I reiterate that it is impossible for someone to be full of joy. That doesn't mean full of happiness. It means full of joy and there's a big difference. Some people... Are happy and they're not happy and they're up and down, but joy remains. Joy doesn't doesn't go away. But joy being full is it, there. There is a there's conditions here for full for fullness of joy. If we were to read reread, go back and Second John, start ride start reading in verse one and make our way back down through verse number ten or excuse me verse number nine, then we see that that joy being full is strongly connected in verse one with being in the assembly, but also in love and in truth. Okay, verse two, and for the truth's sake, again, walking Verse number 3 tells us that joy being full uh, necessitates that one being a recipient of grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It also necessitates that those receiving grace and mercy and peace in truth and in love also walking in it. It necessitates that. And also, according to those commandments that we read week by week, And verses 5 and 6, that our love is demonstrated in our walk, how we behave ourselves according to commandments and contrary to how deceivers and antichrists do present themselves. That in fullness of joy, the children of God would truly examine themselves and that that those things which have been worked would would remain and and also that there would be a fullness there of reward and in in remaining that there would be an actual holding and abiding in the doctrine of Christ. And that is contrasted with those who don't. So, in continuing those things and the joy being full, I want you to I want you to take just a moment and turn to John chapter fifteen. And we're gonna and, and so that phrase might have sounded familiar to you. Okay, it might have sounded familiar to you. We studied it not so long ago. I say that it's been several months now. In John chapter fifteen, probably over a year if I actually went back and. And looked at the dates. In John chapter 15, think of the things in the past few months that we've learned out of 2 John. And now let's read what the Lord Jesus Christ says in in, in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth or prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are acclaimed through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me, or walking according to the doctrine of Christ. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Again, go back to our text in Second John and verse nine: Whoso transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. He says, "I am the vine; branches. He that abideth in me." Verse six: If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So one that does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, they don't have God. If you abide in me and, my, and in my words, his commands abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now that's not saying Christ isn't telling us to ask for a new corvette. He's saying, if you're abiding in His words, your will and your want will be glorifying unto him, and you'll ask those things according to His will, not yours. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and ye shall be my disciples or followers. And the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. What is love that we continue in his commandments? If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. You see where John's going with this? If If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So when John is saying what he's saying in Second John that their joy would be full, it was based on the people of God trusting the Lord and doing what he says, continuing in that love according to command. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater, man, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if, that word if should be marked somehow in your Bible. If you do whatsoever, I command you. Now that condition there is not that if you do, if you follow his commandments, then you'll be his friend. It's that his friends do his commandments. Those that are born again shall abide in Christ and keep his commandments. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should, what, just hang out and say, thank God for sovereign grace? That you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, or according to his glorious reputation, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Again, back in the text in Second John, the commandment, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. So why is John saying, putting all this stuff together, why is John saying in Second John verse 12, that when he sees him face to face, their joy would be full. They would be full of joy after seeing one another face to face because they walk after His commandments and abide in Christ, keeping the doctrine of Christ and abide in His love. That's it. Seeing each other face to face, they would confirm that they were indeed abiding in the doctrine of Christ, both in word and deed. It's a cherished and joyful thing for a child of God to be full of joy in Christ, and also being face to face that others also that are full of joy with all others also that are full of joy. It's a serious mark of a child of God that there's joy in obedience, that there's joy in walking after the commandments of God, that there's, as John said, just hearing that he, that the children of this elect lady were walking in in truth, he greatly rejoiced in it. It's a wonderful thing. Then asking ourselves, is there, is there joy in obedience? Is there joy in obedience? The answer to that, for every child of God, should be yes, the affirmative. Look in First John, if you would please, chapter 2, verses 3 and three through 6. In First John, chapter 2, he says, And hereby we, we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that, ab- he that saith, he abideth in, in him, in Christ, ought, also, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. So not only are they not grievous, but they're actually joyful and full of joy. Full of joy. One that says, I know the Lord, yet rages and rebels against the commands of God is no child of God. One that says, I know Him, and delights in obedience in the Lord, and delights in others that delight in the obedience of the Lord, and has a true joy in the Lord, and has and desires to be around others who have a joy in the Lord. Those are those are several expressions of the affirmative that one is indeed a child of God. Will all children of God rebel? Yes, we will all rebel. Every one of us rebel. That's why we're chastened. In Hebrews chapter twelve. If you would please, in Hebrews chapter 12, and we know what this says, but you know, he's not saying that you can only have joy if you're perfect, because none of us are. But look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, and we have for- and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children: My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. Well, why would we be chastened or rebuked? Because we're not walking in light. We're not following His commandments. We're not walking in love. We're not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. We have, we have sin. We have erred, The flesh has taken over. In verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Again, he doesn't scourge and chasten those who are walking uprightly. He does that to those who are who are misbehaving. If ye endure chastening, God doeth for ye as sons. For what son is he? Uh, is he whom the Father chasteneth if not it, but if you are without chastisement oh I've never been chastened, careful Wherefore are all, uh, whereof all our partakers every child of God is a partaker, then you're bastards and not sons, if you've never experienced chastisement you're not legitimate, you're not a legitimate child of God chastisement has its effect, keep reading, furthermore we have had our fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave us and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live, subjection, our will submitted to His. For, ve- for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, meaning to conform us to conform us to the image they would desire. But He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness, or He, he, de- he works out His desired uh, 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 behavior in chastisement, holiness. Now no chastening, chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by thereby. And that peaceable fruit is a, is a joyous fruit. It's a, it's a fruit uh, that, that does bring uh, joy, that we'd be full of joy and that we would be walking in Christ. Those without chastisement, repentance, and peaceable fruit are not legitimate then. These John, this elect lady, and her children, this church, and the membership there, all were partakers of chastisement all are in their lives were partakers of chastisement. each one of them experienced a need and a desire to walk in the love and the commandments of God, each one of them desired to by the grace and the mercy and the peace of God that they would they would indeed walk. And they took pleasure in others who had that same uh, desire. The Gnostic finds no joy, truly, in what they know. If they found joy in what they knew, then any challenge of that wouldn't upset them. But they find no true comfort, no true joy in what they know. The believer, believing and abiding in the doctrine of Christ, finds joy in walking with the Lord. And that, that accompanies all manner of circumstances you read through Hebrews chapter 11, turn back a page from where we were just a few minutes ago, and those all in the Old Testament had, had a faith that was expressed in, in and there's a, there, there's a, there are notes of joy and trusting the Lord and doing what He says, even and especially when it didn't make sense. The believer abiding in the doctrine of Christ has a, has a joy that is indeed full in that they believe God in the flesh, In his office and Messiahship is the mediator of the new covenant. that That he is that true prophet and priest and king. And in his sufferings he brings the gospel of salvation, mercy, grace, and peace, affording repentance and pardon, justification of sin, with complete and full salvation. The impact on the lives of the believer because of this doctrine, they are to walk in it and delight walking in it anticipating, hoping, and expecting the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That's where the joy is full, in the doctrine of Christ, and that's why John said he looked forward to seeing these people, that their joy, those that were were truly obedient in the doctrine of Christ, would would find assurance in the gospel of Christ with one another. This doctrine of Christ, it cause us to have and live in joy, But does it cause you to live in joy or does it cause you to despise or disdain the authority of God God and His Scripture and His assembly? Those that refuse to assemble themselves, they find that they can make it their own way. And they're thinking, and and that speaks volumes of their true theology. It really does. Does does the preaching of the Word of God bring someone joy or does it cause them to, to, to... to despise the God and despise the people of God. Do you desire, I'm going to ask, do you desire that your joy would be full? And what would be the nature of that desire? To be comforted in what we think we know, that's what the Gnostic would want. If the Gnostic wanted to to have full joy, you think about when people go to to attend some church service somewhere, so-called church service, a society service, What do they look for in the church that they assemble in? How how, how do they think they will receive joy? Is it through antics? Is it through tongues? Is it through a band and smoke show? Is it through a a, a vibrant speaker? Is it through a dynamic speaker? Is it through a well-structured program where it really pulls the heartstrings at the end? What draws someone's joy in their religion? Well, what drew the joy in the religion that John held and he perceived that this elect lady and her children held was the doctrine of Christ, pure and simple. Did these people want to be comforted in what they thought they knew? Did they want to be comforted? I've known people that say, oh, I just want to hear sovereign grace all the time. Well, I believe sovereign grace. There's a lot more in this Bible. As Just reading this short letter, there's a lot more in the Bible than just simply the doctrine of sovereign grace. To be comforted in the doctrine of Christ and desiring to live and walk accordingly, does that idea bring you joy? Or does that bring you sorrow? Let me ask it this way. What interrupts our joy? If disobedience interrupts your joy, well, thank God. Thank God if disobedience interrupts your joy. 1 John, first John chapter 1, verse 9. First John chapter 1 John 1, Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, if your sins bother you, if your joy is interrupted because of sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that our joy would be full. Right? That true cleansing, that we would abide in the doctrine of Christ. So to, if, to sin, does sin interrupt your joy? If it doesn't, you got a big problem. If having our pride or our feelings hurt or our self-interest interrupts your joy, then you got a big problem. Repent. If you're saved, repent unto joyful salvation. Sometimes it's it's a lot easier for us to get our feelings hurt than it is to hear words of uh, and, and, and words and preaching and, and and counsel of repentance and holiness. If pride or feelings or self-interest interrupts your joy, then I would strongly recommend, even religiously unsaved, to repent unto joyful salvation. The Jews did not have a joyful salvation when Jesus Christ spoke of his gospel to the Jews. Many times their teeth gnashed and they were angry and they took up stones, but it was not yet his time. But ultimately, their joy being being so interrupted, they laid hands on him, they accosted or arrested him in the garden, they crucified him by wicked hands, they crucified him. Why? Because his gospel interrupted their joy, interrupted their religion. Answering this inverted question, what interrupts your joy, should also give us a better understanding about what brings us joy. So what truly brings you joy? If our favorite football team loses and that interrupts our joy, then we better have a better understanding of what brings us joy. If the doctrine of Christ brings me joy, then nothing should interrupt that that joy. And when we sin, when I sin, not if, when I sin, And confess my sin, and he cleanses me of that sin, that ought to renew our fullness of joy, walking with him in light as he is light. You look also in verse 12, and he says, But I trust, or I hope, or I expect. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. John looks forward to a full joy, seeing them walking in in the, uh, the doctrine of Christ. And they anticipated, because of their previous relationship, it appears, that they also would have fullness of joy, having seen John yet again, and he was walking and abiding in the doctrine of Christ. For him to trust or hope or expect to come unto them, he desired to see them face to face, and this is, it's fun. It really is. It's fun, it's exciting, and it's joyful to meet other brothers and sisters walking in truth. It really is. People you never met before in your whole life. I mentioned before we got started about Brother and I never met him before in my whole life. But I desired, after hearing him preach, to go talk to him and, and speak with him further. It was, it, it, it's exciting. It's exciting to meet such folks. And I, and I trust you've experienced that. We love to meet these people, and we love to, to meet them and to see them again, and meet them and see them again. Brother, you're going up to Texarkana. Everybody else has been there before. You haven't. And I'm sure you're already looking forward to meeting new people who are walking and abiding in the doctrine of Christ, and you already set your love and affection upon them. you never even met them before. That's exciting how that happens. It really is. You could probably write a similar letter to the church in Texarkana and says, I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full, even though I've never met you before. It's wonderful how the Lord really moves in such such a way. And it's wonderful. You know, we have our me- annual meeting every year. And there's people that Brother Grace, most of, y'all never, or of you all never, some you hadn't met him before. Um, or if you had, it'd been a long time up in Ashland. But when you, if and when you see him again, you'll be excited to see him again. Hey, look, here's a guy. He you know, he, he he trusts the Lord. He preaches the, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. He lives it. I'm excited to see you again, brother. See how that works? It's wonderful. <clears throat> In similar fashion, though, week by week, service by service, I trust to see your face again. Honestly. And, and I hope you have the same feeling about me. I trust to see you face to face that our joy be full. Do you ever look at church services that way before? I, I look, I, I trust to see you, I expect to see you on Sunday. I expect to see you on Saturday for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the outdoor services. I expect to see you the following Sunday. I expect to see you here uh, Friday after next uh, or this, yeah, Friday afternoon next at 10 o'clock so we can go somewhere. I expect, and, and I look forward to those times. I look forward to preaching and to teaching people that are loving, that are caring, that are obedient, that are faithful children of God. I look forward to doing that. John said, I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, and I truly do that from service to service. I look forward to it. Those that are receptive to the doctrine of Christ and desire to, in a better way, live and abide in the doctrine of Christ. That's, that's amazing. Those that love truth, the gospel, and associated godly living, self-examination and discernment. That's, that's, a, that's a summary of 2 John. And he was excited to see them. He had no reason to believe that when they received this letter that they would be upset with him. But in fact, they would be joyful and excited to see him. You can see that in the letter. But I say unto you, it's an honor and privilege and joy to trust to come before you and see you face to face and speak with you things pertaining to Christ. The opposite also is true or can be true. I love preaching to unsaved people and that I know that the Lord is able to save them. Yet it's not joyful for me to come and speak to face-to-face with people who are wayward or rebel or hostile or who obviously don't want to be here. Even so, I know the Lord is able, but you can see, you can see he was writing to the to people he identified with and he had purpose with and he had joy with. He had many things in common, specifically the doctrine of Christ he had in common with these people. The many things that he wrote, and we're looking at the sentence perhaps breaking it down and backwards. So their joy would be full in abiding in the doctrine of Christ. He was really excited, expecting that he was coming to see them in just a little while and speak to them face to face. But he said, there's other things that I would write to you, and, and many things, many things. And we can only speculate what these many things might have been. But we don't have to speculate what they could be. Okay, We know that they would be consistent in truth. He would not step away from verses 1 and 2 and step off into false doctrine, false teaching, into error, and and, and into lies. He wouldn't specifically step off into Gnosticism saying, you know what, what you know, that's good enough, and there doesn't have to be anything effectual about it. It would be consistent with truth. It would also be consistent in ecclesiology. Raise your hand if you don't know what ecclesiology is. Ecclesiology. You know what ecclesiology is? Well, it's the study of the church. Ecclesia, church, ecclesiology, study of the church. And the teachings of the church. Again, when he said, No new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning in verse 5. And also now we see him quoting the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 12 concerning joy being full, we know at minimum that John would have in great detail spoken to them and uh, things pertaining John 13 through John 16, and there's a lot of stru- instruction concerning the Lord's assembly in that passage. A lot of instruction. And specifically, we won't touch on it in depth at this time, but look, Look at verse 13. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Combine that with what you read in verse 1, the elder unto the elect lady. He believes in a local church, an independent church. He, he agrees in one that had uh, authority that came from a mother's sense because here's two sisters greeting one another, right? So he, he believes in chain link succession, holding to proper doctrine through baptism and the commission, He believes in grace and mercy and peace that is only in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the letter would be consistent in soteriology. Soteriology is the the study of salvation, the teaching and study of salvation. It would be consistent in application. Verses 4 through 6, specifically verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. So in application... He, the things that he would say, he would be telling them, you have to apply the things that you know. Not just that it's okay to know some things and to store them away, but you got to live it. Okay, It would be consistent with that. We also know it would be consistent with the warning against Gnosticism and antinomianism, verse 7. And he calls these people deceivers and antichrist. In no way, shape, or form would he, go to, would he write against Gnosticism, then face-to-face and say, well, I'm glad you know so much while your life is a total wreck and you're living in disobedience without chastisement. He wouldn't say that at all. It would be consistent with the warning against these deceivers and those who call themselves, and they confess with the mouth that they are of God and yet they don't know Him and it's evidenced in their living. He would be consistent with self-examination. When John says, I have many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. He wouldn't let self-examination slide. I mean, he spent time in this letter just overviewing it. In verse 8, look to yourselves. And that's no new thing to examine oneself. He would also be consistent with the things he was going to tell them face-to-face with true discernment. In verse 9, he gives uh, a a complete black-and-white uh, discernment criteria Whoever tran- whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the father and the son and he says if anybody come in here to you don't bid him Godspeed, don't wish him well don't let him in your house don't be a partaker of the evil deeds so he would, he would not step aside from this level of discernment either so we know at minimum it would be truth, truthfully sound uh, concerning the church, concerning salvation, concerning how we live, considering uh, uh, looking out for others and warning, self-examination and discernment. It would be consistent with those things. And that's pretty similar to what goes on here, right? Isn't it? I mean, how many times do you expect at some point in every message that I'm going to tell you all to trust the Lord and do what He says? You probably should expect that. At some point, do you, do you look in the message? You're going to hear a, a, a call to the unsaved that Jesus Christ is indeed saved, the Savior. But because the assembly is for the uh, provoking of love and good works. unto unto believers, most of the messages are going to deal with just the fact of the matter, the truth of the word of God. We're going to touch on the church many times. We're going to deal with salvation. We're going to deal with how these things apply to our lives. There's going to be warnings, maybe warnings of, oh, maybe you think you got something, but you really don't understand it. Or maybe you think you think you got something and you're deceived. There's going to be a call for self-examination and discernment. That's a so his pattern of this message here should be found in, in many messages. So when they, when John was going to come to this elect lady, they weren't going to hear any new thing. They're, they might hear it worded differently, and he might call upon a separate Old Testament passage, or he might tell them a different thing that Jesus Christ did in his life, in his living. Remember, he said in John 20, many other things did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It could be that he would pick a, one of those catalog of, of items that he didn't even list in the gospel and say, listen, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Now let's apply these things to our lives. But it, w- it would not stray from these fundamental issues that he, that he spoke of in this letter. I truly believe the many other that many of the that, things that he would have said and didn't write. Now, again, there are so many issues. There, there are many issues we could preach today. We don't touch every issue every time. I don't know what he would have said when he saw him face to face. But based on what he did say, I've got a pretty good idea of of what he believed. I look forward to seeing you face to face. I look forward to uh, that, that my joy be full and your joy will be full. One of, the, one of the finest things, and I know it's tough and I know it's hard and there's a lot of study involved, but the, the, one of the things I like the most in this whole existence that, that God has granted me is standing before you and testifying the things of God from the Word of God. I enjoy it. I look forward to seeing our joy be full. I enjoy to see growth. I enjoy it. I look forward to telling you many things, though there is nothing new. He says in verse five, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning. I'm not, you know, not making stuff up. Just, just what's in this Bible and's been there for, for several hundreds of years, thousands. No new thing, but many things to say. Things straight out of the Word of God. Nothing new. Just because it's new to us, just because it's new to me, doesn't mean that it hasn't always been there. Let's be honest, how much time have we actually spent in our lives until the past few months studying 2 John? It's always been there. And 3 John, scarcely does anyone read it. By the time they get to 2 John after 1 John, they're so wore out to John. 3 John and 2 Corinthians are some of the most neglected books in the entire Bible. People just get weary. Nothing new. You can read through 3 John in your private time. See if you find any new concepts in 3 John. There's nothing new there, but I look forward to preaching it to you. In these frequent refreshings and rehearsals, I enjoy that we are to be found walking in truth. That the preaching of God's holy word will bring us great rejoicing. Not by the letter. He didn't find great rejoicing and desire to see them uh, that their joy be full in the letter of the law, but in the active spirit of the law, and in, in, in Christ, the doctrine of Christ being evident in their lives. He looked forward to seeing that spiritual fruited evidence. The thing of fruit of the spirit, your, my, my mind goes to Galatians chapter five. In Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two. That's Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. But look, keep reading. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Go back and read the, the works of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Knowing it. And even understanding it is different than living it. John greatly rejoiced, and he looked forward to having full joy when he sees his the people of God, the people that Jesus Christ died to save, living and abiding in him just as much as they are that, that branch that is living in the vine. Remember back to what we read in John 15. Jesus Christ said, he said these things, that our joy would be full, abiding in him. That we abide in Christ, being obedient and faithful. Again, Second John verse 9, the second part of that verse. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. That's joy. That's true joy. And children of God, I, I rejoice greatly in seeing you face to face. And speaking many things unto you. I really do. Am I perfect? Are you perfect? Absolutely not. I'm not trying to condone sin at all. We're not we're not a perfect people, but I tell you what, I perceive that you love truth, verses one and two. I perceive that you love the Lord's assembly, verses one, two, and thirteen. I perceive that you love the doctrine of grace, that you love that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. According to the foreknowledge of God, by the work of Jesus Christ, an application of the Spirit to the sinner in time. I perceive that you love application, meaning not just the theory of godliness, but how true godliness and religion is evident in our lives. I perceive that that you love warnings, and sometimes it's hard to perceive that, you know, you warn a child, if you do this, there's danger, and children usually don't like warnings. But truly loving a warning is found in the application of it. So some people love love it when you when you tell them the good things, but they'll blow off the bad things. That's not loving of warnings. We are we perceive a love of warning. Verse seven, many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. How do we know that we love warnings when we exercise discernment? Verses 9 through 11. Who do you receive? That's how you know if you love a warning or not. If we're warned and yet receive everybody, we don't love warnings. If we're warned and it strikes the flesh, but we practice it, we find that indeed we love God more than we love ourselves. And that truly is indeed abiding in the doctrine of Christ. Sacrifice, crucifixion of the flesh. And you know what? That requires a little self-examination, rather a bunch. Looking in verse 8, I perceive you love self-examination. Why is that? Because I perceive that you love truth, you love the church, you love... You love salvation according to the trinity of godliness, Father, Son, Spirit. These applications, I perceive that you just love these things. And I perceive you love coming together face to face. It's possible that someone could have understanding of these elements separately on their own. It's possible but for joy's sake, not because we're commanded to and and checking the box of religion in the assembly, but for joy's sake, I perceive you come in to hear many things face to face. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. That verse if you were to commit that verse to memory and recite it to yourself before every single time you walk into this place, I believe it would do as well. Do you come to hear the preaching of the word of God that our joy may be full? And do you have that same anticipation for every other person in the assembly? Not that they would see you and your joy, their joy be full. And not you would see them, but collectively that our joy may be full. That would be that would be a fine thing, wouldn't it? It really would. Thank God. Thank God He tells us all these many things in the doctrine of Christ that coming together, our joy may be full. Again, what stands in the way of your joy? What takes away from it? Is it pride? Is it self? Is it flesh? Is it this? Is it that? Any answer but sin and looking in the mirror. Any answer but sin to the question, what takes away our joy? What keeps me from having a full joy is the wrong answer. Because I'll be honest. You don't stand in the way of my joy being full. And I don't stand in the way of your joy being full. If your joy is not full, ask the question, have you confessed your sin? Believing that Christ is indeed faithful and just to forgive our sin, your sin, and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Where is joy found? Verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. You want to have you want to be joyful, you want to be full of joy. Again, what did Jesus Christ say? Let's read what he said again in John 15. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Commandments aren't loving, tell that to Jesus Christ. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, godly love, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Why would their joy be full? They'd be walking in His commandments and abiding in His love even as they abide in the doctrine of Christ. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? If your joy isn't full, if my joy isn't full, ask the Lord to grant you a heart of repentance. Desire it. We were studying in the men's study Earlier, Turn over there. I'm going to share some things from that. Just briefly, we're not going to go into the same depth. But in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, there's an if-then scenario. Proverbs chapter 2. He says, My son, if thou, if, 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 thou wilt receive my words and hide or treasure put away for later use my commandments with thee, And he gives in verse 2, so that, so if you do verse 1, verse 2 will happen, so that you incline your ear, you listen up unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. You get it. If you cry out after verse 3, if you seek it as treasure, verse 4, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord. In similar fashion. If one wants full joy, then they will hear the word of God, and they will they will desire application of the word of God upon their hearts, and they will seek after the Lord in all things, trusting him and doing what he says, and then the fear or reverence of the Lord and finding knowledge of God, then that one trusting and obeying would truly live. A life full of joy, which is exactly what Jesus Christ said, which is exactly what John says in Second John, verse 12. To be unsaved, I used to be unsaved, and I know how, how good and well that hearing these things did not bring me joy. I know it didn't bring me joy. They took my perceived joy. I had a perceived joy in myself and in the world and in in the different things I could be doing. I perceived that those who spoke the things of God and the doctrine of Christ were mean and hateful people. When in fact, they're some of the most loving people that you could ever meet. I had no idea what real joy was all about. Real joy comes at the cost of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in verse 3. Grace, the merciful kindness by which God exerts His holy influence upon sinners, turns them to Christ, keeps them in Christ. And turning them to the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh, died for sinners, took their place as a substitute, was buried and rose again, victorious, and in his victory, in his, in his resurrection, he brought justification, made, made the sinner legally right and clean before God. In presenting himself and, and affording salvation in his gospel, the Holy Spirit strengthens the child of God in Christ, increases them in faith increases them in knowledge, increases them in affection, and kindles them in godly exercise, according to the gospel, into excellence and purity. Mercy, the kindness of God, in His goodwill and compassion toward the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them, to bring them from the ashes of ruin unto His marvelous light. Bringing peace that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you this, there is no grace outside of the gospel of Christ. There is no mercy outside of the gospel of Christ. And there is no true peace outside of the gospel of Christ. There is only heartache and sorrow. And when you see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, it will not be a joyful occasion, but one of dread and fear. Meeting the Lord outside of his gospel and without remedy of his blood, there will only be heartache and sorrow, wailing and gnashing of teeth throughout all eternity. Thank God there is grace and mercy and peace. Thank God that Jesus Christ in His gospel came to save His people from their sins, to set the captive free, to loose the bond, to give sight to the blind, to heal and bind up the brokenhearted. I encourage you by the power of God. To trust, to repent of your sins, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of grace, mercy, and peace. And be saved. Be saved indeed. That your joy might be full. May the Lord may the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Brother Wyatt, please come lead us in a song.